Hello all and welcome to a special bonus episode of Geeks and Games. I am Tiger and I am not joined by Yoshimitsu this week. That is because he is going on vacation. He has a rather busy summer and I wanted to fill in any gaps between episodes with a special bonus that I've been planning for a bit. So we were gone for like a couple weeks already because Yoshimitsu and I both went on a retreat. We had an amazing time. It was uh, it was lovely where we went, and it was also tech free. And it's weird going back to um, having technology all around you, but you know it's definitely very fulfilling. <laughs> Episode releases are definitely going to be much more sporadic from here on out. Expect Geeks and Games to be a once or twice monthly show instead of once a week. And our MCU project may take a lot longer than initially expected because Mar- knowing Marvel, they're going to release like 20 new movies and shows as our thing is in progress. We're hoping to get that first one out by the end of the summer, but, you know, who knows. Um, speaking of the bonus episodes, however, I had hoped Nintendo would do a full direct for me to react to, but that never happened they did do a partner showcase, but that doesn't count toward my personal criteria for which directs I wanted to do for episodes. For this one, however, I wanted to do a sort of passion project, something I've been working on on and off for the, the past year, to act as a sort of reissue of one of my least favorite episodes we've done for the podcast thus far. A humongous, colossal video game iceberg. I'm pretty sure most of you know about icebergs. They're big charts that organize various Easter eggs, trivia, mystery, or other aspects of a specific topic. They first got... Um, I assume they've been around for a bit before that, but they got like really popular in mid-2020 when somebody made a Super Mario 64 iceberg. Some information was true, some of it was not, and it was a little hard to tell which was which in some cases, but... All in all, it's an amazing trend that I feel like I can't even describe as a trend just because, you know, people are still making these now, a year and uh, two years after the first Super Mario 64 iceberg, and they're still going strong. I still, you know, people with big audiences make these, these still continue to get, like, pretty good view numbers. That wasn't my motivation, though. The motivation behind this specific one was because I had wanted to make it. Um, now, in this case, I've made a really general video game iceberg, and so it's not centered on video game YouTubers, it's not centered on cut content in video games, it's not centered on odd facts, not obscure games, not consoles, not controllers, not peripherals, um, not banned games, not anything you'd probably see Scott the Walls cover on an ordinary day that I would, you know... To be frank, I mean, his he worked as a source for a lot of our earlier episodes, but I'm really trying to move away from that. Um, so this is all of the above topics mentioned and more combined. Now, I'm 99% sure I'll miss some things you listeners will have wanted me to include, and I'll probably miss some things that I want to include too that I'll discover later, who knows. For now, I'm pretty satisfied with what I have. Um, however, if there is something you want me to include, I might make a part two. Just message me either through Discord or our email address, geeksandgamespodcast at gmail.com. And yeah, part two, maybe. Who knows? 
I should add that the standard iceberg chart, which I'll be doing here, is organized in such a way that the information gets more obscure slash creepy as we go down the list of entries. It's worth noting that I've chosen to use background music from video games for each layer, and this music gets more and more creepy as we descend the berg. Um, I'll include the names of each of the tracks in the description below if you want to listen to any of them in your own time. Uh, so that's kind of a warning there because that's just sort of to add more ambiance to it. Uh, I think I'm, this is definitely going to be one of those more higher production style episodes. Um, I have chosen to leave some things out that I initially wanted to include due to, um, being either more mature or not quite fitting. Um, some people might object to one or two things that I've chosen to include on here, but for those, uh, I do have a, um, a teeny bit of a warning for that, so um, I recommend not listening to this late at night because I don't want to harm any of your sleep schedules with some of the more scary stuff. I tried not to include anything too disturbing, but to be frank, some of it might not be for everybody, and that's okay. Some of the points in the last two layers are, like, extra creepy, mysterious, possibly sensitive. So, if you're the un under the age of 12 or whatever, maybe have the parent preview it or something. Uh, some things mentioned will be image-related, and I'll have a companion channel on our Discord server where I'll upload the images mentioned as a, like I said, a companion for this episode. And I'll also have a YouTube playlist because a lot of people will explain the topics here much more thoroughly than I can. Some videos will also cover some more mature content that I've chosen to leave out, so be very careful watching some of the iceberg charts I used as information. <laughs> At least, I mean, one specifically, the cut content game iceberg does cover some uh, more mature points. I'll just leave it at that. One last thing, I'm trying to Photoshop an image for the iceberg itself that may or may not release. My initial design for it was just a bunch of notes that I wrote down on with Sharpie on a really big piece of poster board, but I don't think that works as a regular iceberg. I am working to try to make one, but that may or may not be complete by the time this episode releases. So, um, if that's not the case, I apologize, but I'll probably be able to make a very sort of rough written down list of the entries if you want to see them like all in one place and not in order. One last footnote, post-production Tiger here. I'm sorry for the quality of a couple of the earlier entries. I feel like I've grown even as the episode itself has come along. And some of the entries are repeats of what our loyal listeners may remember from earlier episodes, but that's because I wanted the iceberg to be truly definitive and complete. Grab a snack or a hot beverage, sit back, and listen to this humongous video game iceberg. Without further ado, let's-a go. Layer 1 the Atmosphere. Herobrine. Herobrine is a mysterious entity that some people have said appears in Minecraft. This started with a mysterious 4chan post that showed a user navigating a Minecraft area with fog and Herobrine was spotted in the background of this image. This user said that they had a conversation with Notch about it, and Notch mentioned that he had a brother that died and was quote-unquote no longer with us. 
leading this user to put forth the theory that Notch's dead brother was a ghost in the game and that was the origin of Herobrine. However, this post was a complete hoax. Herobrine does not exist in Minecraft and never has existed in Minecraft, but it got popular enough to the point where Mojang does like to include Herobrine removed in, in each patch update. Herobrine himself is just the base Steve character, but with the center of the eyes removed so the eyes are all white, and Herobrine himself has been the subject of a lot of Minecraft theory videos and creepypastas and has become one of the most legendary things about the game. L is real 2401. In the courtyard of Super Mario 64 where you can access Big Boo's haunt, there is a fountain with a star in the center and below this star is a plaque that appears to read L is real 2401, leading many people to theorize this fountain had something to do with accessing Luigi in Super Mario 64. What did it mean? Did it mean get all 2,401 coins in the game and then Luigi would be waiting there? Many hunts later and Luigi was nowhere to be seen. However, a really big lead was discovered during a big leak of Nintendo content, which I'll get into more later. Found that Luigi's model was hidden deep in the files of Super Mario 64 and was planned for the game. The coincidence comes from the fact that this information came to light in July of 2020, 24 years and one month, 2401, after Super Mario 64 was released in Japan on the Nintendo 64. Most likely a coincidence, but it is a really interesting thing noting to have come to life, because multiplayer was planned for Mario 64, but that never happened even though the ROM hack community did eventually figure it out as Super Mario 64's community base grew over time. The Bite of 87 This entry refers to a mysterious incident in the Five Nights at Freddy's series of games. For those who don't know, each entry in the series revolves around you working at a pizza emporium in which the animal animatronics come to life and you have to avoid getting seen or killed by them. In the first game, you can get clues from a behind-the-scenes helper known as the Phone Guy. One of his clips is as follows. But then there was the bite of 87. Yeah. It's amazing that the human body can live without the frontal lobe, you know? It is unknown what this clip refers to. However, the most prominent theory achieved meme status due to a video on YouTube uploaded by Markiplier on July 27, 2015, the fifth entry in his Five Nights at Freddy's 4 playthrough. The video in question has a section in which Markiplier watches a pixelated cutscene of the Freddy animatronic biting the head of a child, thankfully not too graphic. The cutscene ends and a stunned Markiplier reacts by saying, Was that the bite of 87? Mark clearly thought this was the event the phone guy's message in the first game was referring to. The clip went viral as a meme four years after Mark's original upload. However, it was later discovered that the cutscene depicted the bite of 83, a different event. It's still unknown what the bite of 87 actually was. Morshue. Morshue is a character originating from Link the Faces of Evil, one of four games featuring licensed Nintendo characters for the Philips CDI. The other three were Zelda, The Wand of Gamelon, and Zelda's Adventure, which both were also based off The Legend of Zelda, and Hotel Mario, based off of Will Mario. Morshue is a shopkeeper in the game that sells Link. Lamp oil, rope, 
bombs? He achieved meme status in the late 2000s as the games became one of the sources of an art form known as YouTube Poop. The first instance of Morshu in one of these poops was entitled YouTube Poop, You Want It? Uploaded by user Jeff Lindblom April 4th of 2007. Jeff still makes CDI-themed YouTube poops to this day. Morshu received renewed popularity in the beginning of 2021 when user Hulopi uploaded a video called Morshu RTX On, which features an admittedly well-made model, an admittedly well-made 3D model of Morshu recreating his two lines of dialogue from Link, The Faces of Evil. Raid Shadow Legends Raid Shadow Legends is a mobile turn-based RPG developed by Plarium Games that released July 29th, 2018. The game, is the game is infamous for sponsoring videos by seemingly every YouTuber to the point where many, including myself, despise the game due to overboard marketing. The game itself has been praised for its visuals, but criticized due to its heavy emphasis on microtransaction. Sonic.exe Sonic.exe is a creepypasta, a creepypasta, by the way, is a fictional internet horror story, written by a user on the creepypasta wiki going by the name JC the Hyena. It was published August 9th, 2011 on the website. The story features a character named Tom receiving a disc with Sonic.exe written on it from one of his friends in Sharpie. As Tom plays the game, he noticed that Sonic in it has black eyes and is crying blood. The 1991 after Sega and the copyright is replaced with 666, and there's a blood waterfall in the background. It's obvious that this game is a ROM hack of the original Sonic the Hedgehog, but obviously much darker. However, this creepypasta really is nothing more than that, just a creepypasta. Of course, people have made ROM hacks of the actual Sonic the Hedgehog game inspired by this story, but other than that, there is no curse, there is no creepy Sonic in real life, and... Take into account not everything you read on the internet is true, kids. Behind the Waterfall This entry simply refers to the fact that it is a really common trope in video games to hide collectibles, artifacts, or goals behind a waterfall in video games. Particularly in jungle locations, it seems like a pretty easy target and it is used rather frequently. Many memes have been made about this rather common occurrence. F to pay respects in the PC release of Call of Duty Advanced Warfare, which originally released in 2014, there is a rather famous scene in which you go to a funeral and must perform a series of quick time events to pass the mission, one of which is paying respects to the deceased, which you do by pressing the F key. It was met with criticism by players for forcing gameplay in a not very tasteful manner. However, using F as a sign of condolence, or to commemorate a somewhat sad occurrence on the internet, either sarcastically or seriously, was inspired by this game. If you ever see an instance of someone on a livestream of a video game asking to put F in the chat following a mess-up of some kind, this is why. The Madden Curse The Madden Curse is something that allegedly happens to pro football players following appearances as the cover athlete for the Madden NFL games developed by EA. Most athletes featured had rather bad seasons following their appearances on the cover of the series entries. This includes Madden 02's Dante Culpepper, who threw only 14 touchdown passes in the first 11 games of the Oan season following his cover appearance, and a back injury cutting his season short following that, as well as Madden 07's Sean Alexander, who had a phenomenal 05 season, went on a downward career spiral in the years following his cover appearance. He didn't rush for a thousand yards for the first time in six years, and had never passed a thousand again for the rest of his career. 
I don't know much about football, so I'm sorry if I get any of these technical terms wrong. However, Madden 18's Tom Brady had a wonderful season following his appearance. Even though the Patriots lost to the Eagles that Super Bowl, Brady himself was still American football's perhaps at the time biggest powerhouse, the team themselves notwithstanding. Quick note, I said one of and not of all time because I'm sure there are many sports enthusiasts that would love to debate me on that. The Triforce and Ocarina of Time. It was long rumored you could acquire the Triforce in The Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time. One of the most prominent theories supporting this was a Triforce-shaped indent on your collectibles menu in-game. In the base game, you can't collect it, but a group of speedrunners, Dwango AC, Safe State, and Starian, managed to do it. It was with the help of a TaskBot program, TAS being a tool-assisted speedrun, meaning a predetermined program that inputs inputs for you, and allows you to get a goal speedrun within a the quickest amount of time possible. And the program Ace to run a hacked version of the game at Summer Games Done Quick 2022 to acquire the Triforce through modification. Except Ace was running through the game and it wasn't a hack of the game itself they were using. So because of that, you technically can get it in the base game, just not the game alone. It was almost posed as a sort of accessing beta elements left untouched, but as the speedrun goes on, it's pretty easy to tell that they are using a modified program to run the game. Sonic's Original Movie Design In April of 2019, Paramount showed the first trailer for their then-in-production Sonic the Hedgehog movie, and the design of Sonic was met with intense backlash from fans. They made his design more humanoid and had the proportions done as such. And so, he just looks wrong. The VFX team then modified Sonic's design to more closely match the games, but still maintain enough of a uniqueness to differentiate itself, such as still keeping his arms blue and closing the gap between his eyes. However, some people have theorized that showing off ugly Sonic was the plan all along, and that Paramount knew that even if it was bad that the movie would still get attention, and they had a good Sonic design planned all along. I don't believe this theory, but it does kind of make sense. Virtual Boy The Virtual Boy is perhaps Nintendo's worst console. It's a head-mounted display handheld system and looks kind of like a VR headset, except it's really not. It uses a parallax effect to have the games appear 3D. One of the worst parts is that it is a head-mounted display, except it doesn't mount. It uses a stand instead of a head strap. One of the big knocks against it is how rushed the console was for development. It's kind of obvious Nintendo only releases to hold people over until the 64 was released. And the display kind of had to be in red and black, so the price point could be somewhat reasonable. Many players complained of headaches and eye strain. As for games, a grand total of 22 released, one of the weirdest being a tie-in for the movie Waterworld. Resurrecting Eris. Spoiler warning for Final Fantasy VII Ahead. Okay, so in Final Fantasy VII, the character of Aerith, or Aerith, which I think is her real name, is killed off by Sephiroth and acts as one of Cloud's motivators to defeat Sephiroth. However, many gamers were not happy with Aerith's ending, and many theories were spread around how she could potentially be brought back. She can't, unless you're willing to use a cheat disc, and even then, trying to talk to her will result in the game crashing. The cake is a lie. In the 2007 game Portal, developed by Valve originally as a Half-Life spin-off, the tester robot GLaDOS promises cake as a reward if you comply with the given challenges. 
However, if you poke around the challenge room areas, you'll find cubby holes that have the phrase, the cake is a lie scribbled on them in the deranged manner, presumably by previous test subjects. These phrases were placed around to insinuate that GLaDOS does not have cake and the tests are more sinister than it seems. The phrase has achieved internet meme status and one of the most notable uses of this phrase outside of the game is as a name of a Minecraft achievement if you place a cake on a bed. The Video Game Crash of 1983 In America in the early 1980s, the certified king of game production was Atari. Their 2600 was selling record numbers, but with that came a problem. Oversaturation. In 1982, Atari released the 2600's best-selling game, a port of Pac-Man for the system, which may show up later, was criticized for its difference from the arcade version. Plus, the next year brought the straw that broke the camel's back, E.T. The game was heavily panned, but the main reason it was bad was that Atari gave the developer, Howard Scott Warshaw, six weeks to develop it. This and other bad games led to the 2600's decline in popularity, and an event we'll also cover in a later entry. However, the same year, Japan was still loving video games, and Nintendo released the Famicom there, which came to the US as the Nintendo Entertainment System in 1985. Its marketing as a toy led to its success, its success in turn led to the revival of video games in America, and it's been mostly smooth sailing ever since. Leroy Jenkins In 2005, a group of World of Warcraft users named Pals for Life were strategizing on how to defeat a group of boss monsters. However, group member Ben Scholes, username Leroy Jenkins, was away during the team strategizing, preparing some chicken for dinner. Upon returning to the meeting, he decides to charge in, ignorant of the other members, with the battle cry, His guild members follow after then hastily, and each meet their demise at Jenkins's ignorant hands. This not-so-valiant charge was recorded by one of the members and uploaded to Warcraft Movies on May 11, 2005. It immediately went viral, leading to Scholes getting an interview with NPR, a card in the Warcraft card game, and many references in movies and TV shows, one of the most notable being the name hidden on a wall in Wreck-It Ralph. There's another notable appearance, but more on that later. Chug Jug Chug Jug is a parody song by YouTube user Leviathan uploaded December 18th of 2018. The song is a Fortnite-themed parody of the 2008 song American Boy by Estelle featuring Kanye West, who will be popping up in another entry. Leviathan says that the chorus was sourced from a video by CM Skits, which is now deleted. The song went viral, Leviathan's cover not the CM Skits original, and currently has over 30 million views. Advent Children Final Fantasy VII Advent Children is a direct-to-DVD film spin-off of Final Fantasy VII that released in Japan September 14th of 2005 and April 25th of 2006 in the US. The plot focuses around Cloud Strife, who has caught a mysterious disease, and must rescue kidnapped children suffering from the same disease. The film was praised for its VFX work, but criticized for depending on previous knowledge of Final Fantasy VII to enjoy it. The film is interesting for being the source of Cloud's alternate costume in Super Smash Bros., and one of only two Final Fantasy spirits in Super Smash Bros. Ultimate until Sephiroth was added to the game. Sonic in Melee 
While Sonic the Hedgehog made a Super Smash Bros. series debut with Brawl for the Nintendo Wii, many speculated that he was secretly in Super Smash Bros. Melee for the GameCube, the previous entry in the series. The most well-known theory was spread by Electronic Gaming Monthly Magazine in 2001 as an April Fool's joke. The article said that you could unlock Sonic in Melee by defeating 20 enemies in the Cruel Melee game mode. This was false, but many gamers around the globe tried, and were most likely heartbroken, by then finding a Sonic-less character roster. Layer 2. The Sky The Angry Video Game Nerd James Rolfe, aka Cinemassacre, aka The Angry Video Game Nerd, is a YouTuber slash filmmaker who is considered the father of game review channels. You can see his influence on the likes of Scott the Waz and many other similar YouTubers. He first started making review videos in 2004 on his Cinemassacre website before YouTube even existed. His first appearance as the Angry Video Game Nerd was for a review of Castlevania II Simon's Quest which released in May of 2004. Coincidentally, that video was released closer to Castlevania II Simon's Quest original release on the NES in 1987 than 2004 is to now. Since then, the character of the nerd has grown really popular, leading to an angry video game nerd movie and video game among over 15 seasons of the Angry Video Game Nerd series by Rolf. Let Me Solo Her Let Me Solo Her is the username of an Elden Ring player who rose to prominence earlier this year. He is recognizable by his iconic garb, or lack thereof, wearing only a loincloth and a cauldron for a helmet, wielding dual katanas. I don't play the game, so I apologize if I get any of this information wrong. But apparently, this player left a summoning sign in front of the boss Melania, Blade of Michaela, and defeating her single-handedly during a battle. Melania is considered the hardest boss in the game, and he became and Let Me Solo Her became popular due to his ability. During a livestream in which he defeated her 20 times in a row, many viewers, including Bandai Namco staff members, were cheering him on in the livestream chat. Dinnerbone. Dinnerbone is the alias of Nathan Adams, one of the developers at Mojang, Mojang being the Minecraft devs. His name became well known in the Minecraft community for providing a unique effect on animals when it's used on a name tag. Name any animal Dinnerbone and it'll just turn upside down. It's a rather funny Easter egg. All your base are belong to us. All Your Base Are Belong To Us is one of the internet's earliest memes. It originates from the shoot 'em up Zero Wing, which was developed by Toapan and originally released in Japanese arcades in 1989. However, the praise originates specifically from the opening cutscene of the European Mega Drive release in 1991. The reason for this odd sentence structure was that the Toapan employee tasked with handling the translation spoke English very poorly. It's obvious that the dead team didn't have a large localization budget, but I still think the translator did the best they could under the circumstances. Machinimas Machinimas are a video format in which people create animations with a video game's in-game engine. The first widely known one of these was Diary of a Camper, which was made in Quake by the gaming clan The Rangers and released in October of 1996. It garnered enough attention to lead to machinimas being a more widespread animation medium. Machinimas got so popular to the point where Steven Spielberg himself, who later worked on Amazon's Halo series, experimented with using Unreal Tournament to create some VFX for the movie Artificial Intelligence AI. 
There was also Machinima Incorporated, which operated from 2000 to 2019, making these types of animations. They were among the first to publish these to YouTube, and were in 2010 the fourth most subscribed YouTube channel. The company eventually evolved into a multi-channel network on YouTube, and encountered controversy from the mid to late 2010s for inserting ads into their creators' videos without their permission, and a general lack of transparency with their partners. Machinima was bought by Warner Bros. in 2016, but completely seized their YouTube operations in 2019 and privated all of their videos, though you can still view some of their series on the Rooster Teeth website. Created by Warren Robinette The 1980 video game adventure for the Atari 2600 contains one of the earliest Easter eggs in gaming. Atari didn't pay their programmers terribly well or give them credit for their hard work, so adventure programmer Warren Robinette hid his name in the game as a way to achieve recognition. In order to access this easter egg, you must have the difficulty set to 2 or 3, grab the grey dot hidden in the bottom wall of the black castle, grab at least 2 more items, then head east of the corridor below the yellow castle, pass through the blinking wall, and you can see the easter egg in all its glory. It's worth noting that Robinette is currently working on a book about his history with Atari entitled The Annotated Adventure. Hell Valley Sky Trees In Super Mario Galaxy 2 in the Shiverburn Galaxy, we can see some creepy figures lurking in the distance. Data miners of the game found the name of these figures, the Hell Valley Sky Trees. That's not creepy or mysterious at all. It actually turns out that the explanation they are called this isn't as weird as it seems. Hell Valley is the name of a real place in Japan, or as it's known there, and I'm sorry for any pronunciation butchering, Jigokudani. That's the source of many geothermic hot springs as the result of a millennia-old volcanic eruption. The place also gets snow in the winter, unusually. Interesting contrast. It's not unreasonable to think that Nintendo were inspired by this due to the Shiverburn Galaxy having both ice and lava combined in one level. The Skytree's portion is possibly a reference to the fact that in Japanese culture, there are these spirits known as Kodama that live in trees. And these Hell Valley Skytrees are just another depiction of these spirits. This is all just unconfirmed speculation though. Billy Mitchell Billy Mitchell is one of the earliest, serious gamers, and a prominent figure in gaming culture in general. He was the first person to acquire a perfect score of 3,333,360 points in Pac-Man, and claimed to have a bunch of other records. However, in the late 2010s, many of Mitchell's records were disqualified due to a lack of proof for his records, and it emulated many games for his world records instead of using original hardware. And many of his records were quote-unquote verified by Todd Rogers, another record holder. Rogers was also disqualified from Twin Galaxies, the company keeping track of these records, after finding his record in the Atari game Dragster was literally impossible to get in the actual game. It got to the point where Mitchell filed a lawsuit against Twin Galaxies, which proceeded in October of 2021, but no trial has taken place as of yet. Arrow to the Knee in The Elder Scrolls V, Skyrim, developed by Bethesda and released in 2011, you can talk to many different characters along the road. However, after you talk to enough people, you realize that quite a few of them will say they used to be adventurers among other things, but then took arrows to their knees. Players eventually took notice and the phrase became, say it with me now, an internet meme. Pingas Pingas is a phrase originating from the Adventures of Sonic the Hedgehog TV series. In the episode Boogie Mania, the 13th episode of the first season, there is a scene in which Dr. Robotnik confronts two characters and says the phrase, Snooping as usual, I see. 
Long after the series ended, someone rediscovered the episode and popularized it by shortening Robotniks to The phrase became widely used in YouTube poop starting around 2007. It became so well known that Sonic Boom has Robotnik say the line again. Ah, Sonic the Hedgehog, snooping as usual, I see. Shang Long. This entry refers to a moment in Street Fighter 2. When you win a match as Ryu, sometimes the game will tell you that you need to defeat Shen Long to stand a chance. This led many people to believe that Shen Long was the name of a secret character hidden inside Street Fighter 2 that acted as the true final boss. More people believe this when previously established pranksters, Electronic Gaming Monthly, stoked the flames with not one, but two articles giving instructions on how to unlock him. However, it was simply a mistranslation on the Shoryuken fighting move used in-game. The message in the game simply means that you must use the move to defeat your enemies. Interestingly enough, the spread of the hoax inspired Capcom to create the characters of Akuma and Gouken, inspired by the theory that Shang Long was Ken and Ryu's former trainer. Tennis for Two Tennis for Two is what is widely believed to be the first video game ever. It was programmed by William Higginbotham in 1958 for an exposition at his workplace, the Brookhaven National Laboratory in Upton, New York. He created it on the Donner Model 30 analog computer and was inspired by the computer's ability to track ballistic missiles and crafted a tennis game for two players based on the device's abilities. An oscilloscope was used as the display monitor and Higginbotham designed two controllers for two players to manipulate the paddles and bounce the ball. After the showcase, the game was dismantled and forgotten until Higginbotham was called to testify in court when Magnavox founder, remember that name for later, Ralph Burr sued many game creators for possible copyright infringement due to Tennis for Two preceding Burr's similar concept for a sports game by at least a decade. The idea that it was the first video game created reached the public masses and Higginbotham was unofficially dubbed the grandfather of video games. Sega Channel the Sega Channel was an online game service developed by Sega as an add-on for the Genesis that ran from 1994 to 1998. It used cable TV services to bring some exclusive gaming content to your home from Sega servers. If you chose to pay a monthly fee, you'd receive an adapter for your console to connect to the service and the opportunity to stream games directly to your Genesis. The service had a rotating library of games, and for a while, it was the only way to play localized versions of games like Alien, Soldier, and, po and Pulseman. Some may argue that you still can't play a localized version of Pulseman, but to that I argue a localized version was created for the Wii Shop channel in 2008, I believe. The Sega channel as a concept was really ahead of its time. This service was preceded in Japan with the similar Sega MegaNet service that started back in 1990, which acted as more of a dial-up multiplayer online service. It also was in Brazil for a while. Yet another similar service slash modem was also released in 1994 called X-Band. It's notable for also having an SNES version on top of a Genesis version. Technically, the Super Nintendo did already have an online service, but more on that later. The Nintendo PlayStation Back in the early 1990s, Nintendo and Sony worked together to try to create a CD-based add-on for the Super Nintendo to allow bigger and better games to be playable on the system. Once plans for those fell through, they then began working on a singular system that combined the disc and cartridge compatibility. It was going to be called the PlayStation. However, in 1991, Nintendo backed out on the deal, realizing Sony would have more control over the disc-based portion than they initially thought. 
Sony retaliated by announcing the PlayStation as a solely disc-based system in 1991, and it ended up working out great for them since once the original PlayStation released in 1994, it became a true beast in the game market. How did Nintendo match this? They abandoned plans with Sony and instead turned to Philips for disc-based media. That's right, we have Sony to thank for Hotel Mario and the Philips CDI, as well as the previously mentioned Zelda games. Mew in Pokemon Red and Blue Mew is perhaps the rarest Pokemon to collect in the series of games. The only way to acquire Mew in Pokemon Red and Blue was through various promotional events by Nintendo, including a mail-based one through Korokoro Comics, in which 20 selected winners could send in their Game Boy cartridges to have Mew added to their copy. However, many rumors persisted and were mainly spread through school playgrounds about how you could unlock Mew with just the game. The most well-known way was that it was hiding under the truck next to the SS Anne in Vermilion City, but alas, there is no other way to collect Mew in the original Pokemon entries without hacking. You are Mr. Gay If you look closely on the cover of Super Mario Galaxy for the Nintendo Wii, you'll notice that the letters in the title have little stars flashing in their corners. Take all of these letters and arrange them in order U R M R G A and Y, and it appears to spell out U R Mr. Gay. But wait, it gets crazier. On the follow-up, Super Mario Galaxy 2, you can see the same star flashes in the corners of the letters. Arranging these letters backwards spells Y-A-I-M-R-U or Yeah-I-M-R-U, acting as a response to the first game's message. Now, I'm fairly certain this is yet another coincidence, but I suppose there is a possibility that this is some sort of easter egg message left there by the designers. Entry number 17. In Undertale, the character of Alphys has a laboratory, the true version of which you can only access in true pacifist mode. Throughout the lab, you can find various numbered entries written by Alphys detailing her experiments, but one entry isn't accessible in-game, and that is the 17th one. Digging through the game's files reveals Room 264, which contains the mysterious entry. It's written in the game's Wingdings language, but translated it reads as follows. Entry number 17, dark darker yet darker, the darkness keeps growing, the shadows cutting deeper, photon readings negative, the next experiment seems very, very interesting, three dots, what do you two think? It is thought that this entry was written by the in-game character of W.D. Gaster, but... So tell of you. In 1995, Nintendo released a modem add-on for the Super Famicom, the Japanese equivalent of the SNES. It worked similarly to the Sega Channel, except the games and programs operated on more of a broadcast-based system, wherein you only had limited opportunities to download games such as a couple hours at a time each day. However, you could play them for whatever time you desired following the download process. Some notable Satellaview releases included some new dungeons for a version of Link to the Past, a remaster of Super Mario Bros. 2 with orchestral music and live radio narration, and a fishing game created by Shigesato Itoi, developer of the Earthbound series. Unless you had these games downloaded by the time the service ended in 2000, you couldn't access them. Thankfully, many of these have been backed up for online preservation. Soulja Boy Consoles DeAndre Cortez Way, aka Soulja Boy, is a rapper who is practically oozing with controversy. On top of crypto scams, claiming he owned Atari, and various other things, Soulja Boy officially licensed and released a video game console known as Soulja Game in 2018. 
Further inspections showed that it was simply a repackaged version of a Chinese manufactured bootleg console with hacked Nintendo ROMs in it, just endorsed by Soulja Boy. Criticism did not stop him since he later announced the production of the Soldier game Fuse later that year, which never released, but if it did, it would have cost $640 to buy. Production of these consoles ceased a few months later when Nintendo threatened to sue after Soldier Boy was bragging about Nintendo not going to catch him online. The 3DO The 3DO Interactive Multiplayer is a console developed by, well, the 3DO company. This console is unique in that three different companies manufactured three different versions of it, Panasonic in 1993, Gold Star in 1994, and Sanyo in 1995. The system flopped pretty badly, mostly due to the fact that the console originally sold for around between $400 and $700, depending on which version you got, and this was in the 90s, so these would be much more expensive when adjusted for inflation. Most of the system's library was interactive movie slash full motion video titles, but the system is also notable for being the debut system of the game series Gex. If you'd like more detail about the 3DO model variations, check out episode 27 and a half of our show. Red Ring of Death The Red Ring of Death was a common error found in the launch model of the Xbox 360. The ring that normally glows green around the power button glows red if there is a system error. The various versions are hardware failure if red in only the bottom right corner, overheating if the entire left side, bottom and top are glowing, general hardware failure if all spots except the top right are glowing red, and an AV slash cable error if the entire ring is glowing. Many 360 systems fell victim to the red ring, causing many of these to completely freeze or stop working. Between 20 and 50% of all launch models suffered from this at some point. Thankfully, Microsoft fixed most of these prevalent errors in the Xbox 360 S and E revisions. Gay Bowser in the American release of Super Mario 64, you fight Bowser by grabbing his tail and throwing him into bombs, and when you do, Mario says, So long, gay Bowser! Which is, so long, Bowser, in an Italian accent. However, many people have interpreted this as Mario saying, so long, gay Bowser. This is somewhat supported by the fact that Bowser is rainbow-colored in the final battle. However, this is not Mario calling Bowser gay, it's just the internet having fun with the phrase. Pac-Man Fever this entry does not refer to the GameCube and PlayStation 2 video game released in 2002. This is referring to an album released in 1981, written and performed by Jerry Buckner and Gary Garcia, not Jerry Garcia of the Grateful Dead. The song is about Pac-Man and ended up peaking at number 8 on the Billboard Hot 100 when it released. It is one of the very first albums slash songs about video games to my recollection. Meverse Miiverse was a social networking application designed by Nintendo for use between users of the Wii U and 3DS systems. On top of typing messages, users also had the option to send screenshots of games and send hand-drawn messages, which is somewhat reminiscent of the DS's PictoChat application. The service ran from 2012 to 2017, the reason for it shut down being the launch of the Switch rendering it unnecessary. Layer 3. The Tip of the Iceberg Magnavox Odyssey The Magnavox Odyssey is what's regarded as the very first home video game console. Initially developed by Ralph Burr in the late 1960s as the Brown Box, the Odyssey released in 1972 with the ability to detect specific programs on the bundled cartridges. But the Odyssey was built with the knowledge of each game in its system, so the first console that truly supported interchangeable cartridges was the Fairchild Channel F in 1976. 
The Odyssey sold a grand total of 350,000 units in its lifetime, paltry compared to current systems, but still nothing to sneeze at. It undoubtedly was also a huge step in gaming history and deserves more recognition. Luigi's Mansion Beta Game Over Luigi's Mansion began life as a tech demo for the GameCube shown at the Space World 2000 Expo. Following the positive reception, Nintendo worked to turn it into a full-fledged game for the system. Prior to the game's release, many elements in the beta didn't end up making their way into the full game, including a very cryptic Game Over cutscene. We see Luigi standing outside the mansion gates, his mustache drooping, he himself frowning, his eyes sad, and lacking pupils. This seems to suggest that, should you get a Game Over, Luigi would become possessed by a ghost. This hasn't been confirmed, but still an eerie looking Luigi nonetheless. Tripping and Brawl Super Smash Bros. Brawl for the Wii contains a mechanic that left many of its player base incredibly frustrated. As you run across the stage during battles, there is a 1.25% chance that you'll trip, which can interrupt carefully planned strategies. It's an interesting addition to try to make the battles more realistic, but this is a game in which a talking anthropomorphic hedgehog can fight giant dinosaur kings, so realism should probably not have been a goal from the devs. Thankfully, tripping was removed from the series' subsequent entries. Missing No Missing No is a glitch Pokemon found in Pokemon Red, Blue, and Yellow. It's usually encountered when you fight a Pokemon with corrupted data. Another reason it shows up is because the game needed to hold data for 255 fighting sprites because of the limited variable size option in the game. The next lowest one wouldn't have had enough space to fit, to fit all 151 Pokemon in it. 151 of the 255 spaces are taken up by the in-game Pokédex, 53% of the remaining spots are taken up by trainers, and all the rest missing no, which is why his corrupted looking sprite even exists in the game to begin with. Speaking of which, his jumble of pixels, which is the most well-known sprite, isn't the only missing no one in-game. There's also a chance it'll show up as a black ghost, Aerodactylor Kabutops' fossil sprites, or a sprite of the ghost seen in Pokémon Tower if you don't have a sylph-scope or a completely different mess of pixels altogether. Ben Drowned Ben Drowned is a gaming creepypasta written by Alex Hall under the pseudonym Jadusable and originally published on 4chan from September 7th to 15th, 2010. The plot involves the main character, Jadusable, buying a copy of Majora's Mask at a yard sale from an old man. But as Jad plays the game, he discovers the cartridge is haunted by a kid named Ben, who was sacrificed by a moon-worshipping cult who drowned him. Once again, disclaimer, the story is fictional. The story is one of the most well-known creepypastas alongside the likes of Sonic.exe and Jeff the Killer. Earlier this year, 12 years after the original story was finished, Alex Hall announced on the Ben Drowned Discord server that a sequel was in development. Vectrex the Vectrex is a vector graphics-based game console developed by Smith Engineering and released in 1982. The system is notable for having a monitor built into the console instead of needing an external television. A few games for it also supported a 3D glasses add-on, being one of the first consoles to do so. Unfortunately, it didn't sell that well due to releasing right before the crash of 83. It had only 28 official games released for it, but it still has a prominent fanbase today with some indie developers still making games for it. Mother 3 Localization Mother 3 is the third game in the Earthbound Slash Mother series developed by Brownie Brown and HAL Laboratories and published by Nintendo. It was released only in Japan for the Game Boy Advance in 2006. It never saw an official English localization for two reasons. One, it released very late in the GBA's lifespan and a localization would take longer to make, and it probably wouldn't sell well given the DS was out for two years at this point. 
Two, a lot of the humor slash sensibilities were tailored to Japanese audiences and probably wouldn't fit well with the Americans. However, unofficial fan translations have done well enough to prove that the game does have a prominent audience here in the States, and the game has developed a sort of cult following. Nintendo eventually localized the first Mother game as Earthbound Beginnings, more on that one later, for the Wii U Virtual Console in 2016, so nothing's quite out of the realm of possibility. Mother 3 did see a re-release on the Japanese Wii U eShop, but still nothing over here. If you're listening to this years after the episode's release and Mother 3 has been localized for whatever reason, good for it. I'm not terribly confident, but it could happen. Atari Merchandise in Alamogordo Landfill during the video game crash of 1983, Atari had a lot of game cartridge overstock that stores didn't want to sell. What did Atari do with all of these games? Bury them in a landfill in Alamogordo, New Mexico. Atari tried to deny that the burial ever happened, but rumors persisted that the company was so ashamed of E.T. they buried all their remaining stock. However, in April 2014, the crew for the documentary, Atari Game Over, arranged for an excavation dig in that same landfill. E.T. cartridges were there, but not just E.T. like the rumors had said. Around 1,300 cartridges were recovered, and only 130 were E.T. ones. Super Mario Bros. 3 is a play. There was a theory for a very long time that Super Mario Bros. 3 for the NES was simply a stage production. It was picked up through things like the game beginning with a curtain opening, stage elements bolted to the back wall, and you exit each level stage right. Well, in a 2015 interview to promote Super Mario Maker, the game's creator, Shigeru Miyamoto, confirmed that it was all true, and that whenever you play the game, you're simply acting as Mario in an in-universe stage production. Mundial Ronaldinho Soccer 64 The intro you just heard comes from the opening of a bootleg of International Soccer 64 for the Nintendo 64. The original bootleg was developed in Peru and released to the Brazilian market in 1998. However, it wouldn't reach notoriety until early 2020 when a clip of the opening went viral. It would be usually used as a bait and switch in memes somewhat similar to a Rickroll. Rendezouk Rendezouk is a strategy used by players of the Battlefield series of games originated and popularized by YouTuber Stun underscore Gravy. The strategy entails jumping out of your aircraft, firing an unguided rocket launcher at an enemy aircraft, then landing back in your own plane. The name Rendezouk is a combination of the words rendezvous and bazooka, shortened to Zook. The move achieved renewed recognition when it was done in the 2021 launch trailer for the new entry in the series Battlefield 2042. This proved that the strat was so popular the dev team took notice. Apple Bandai Pippin Yes, Apple has made a video game console, though it's really more of a multimedia player with a console built in. Developed in coordination with Bandai, the Pippin launched in 1996 to little fanfare. Its operating system is based off of the Apple Macintosh, and there were three different versions of it. The Pippin Atmark and At World versions, as well as the Katz KMP2000, which was developed by Katz and released in Europe and Canada. You'd think a gaming system by Apple would be more well-known, but it sold a grand total of 42,000 units, most likely due to its launch price of $600 in, I must remind you, 1996. It had very few games, one of the best being Mr. Potato Head Saves Veggie Valley. Waluigi in Super Mario 64 DS Just like with Luigi in the original, many believe that Waluigi was hidden in the Nintendo DS version of Super Mario 64 as a secret, unlockable character. Many different aspects of the game led many to believe this, especially an undecorated door in the room you switch characters in, looking just like one that would be perfect for Waluigi. 
but alas, it contains only a star in the game. A big part of the spread was an April Fool's joke originating on DeviantArt by user King Bowser Koopa in 2005 that appears to be a scan of a magazine article. Frankly, I'm surprised this was an Electronic Gaming Monthly added again. This article said you had to be the fastest foot racer in the land, then a switch would appear and you would have a new challenge facing the Rabbit King, then you would unlock Waluigi. However, it was all fake. It's possible Waluigi was planned at some point in a piece of evidence supporting this is a picture of a purple rabbit in the Mario 64 DS game manual that doesn't appear in the actual game. Poor Waluigi really deserves an appearance in the mainline entry in the Mario series. Pablo Belmont Ah, Pablo Belmont. If you don't recognize the name, you most likely recognize his work. The piece of which he's perhaps most famous for is Super Mario Galaxy DS, a trailer for which he made in 2007 as part of an assignment at the school of design he was attending to make a viral video. It obviously worked, as many still remember it today, even though Pablo only received a B+. The hoax said that you needed to have gotten every power star as Mario and Luigi in Super Mario Galaxy, then you'd feed them all to a Luma that would give you access to a new planet, one which was previously only shown in the Mario Galaxy E3 2006 demo. On this planet, you'd find a golden DS, which after finding, you'd connect a real DS to your Wii, and voila, Mario Galaxy on your DS. This seemed pretty obviously a hoax now, but many kids were fooled by it. Another hoax Belmont created was the Nintendo On in 2005, a supposed VR headset that many also were fooled by. Bigfoot in San Andreas only a week following Grand Theft Auto San Andreas' release, rumors circulated that the famous cryptid Bigfoot was somehow inside the game, specifically in the forest area known as the Baco Beyond. It was impossible to tell which pieces of evidence were real or not, since many simply made mods of the game to submit as quote-unquote pictorial proof. Rockstar confirmed he wasn't in San Andreas, even though they did thank Bigfoot in the game manual. The story does not end here, since Rockstar did include Bigfoot in Grand Theft Auto V, which you, who you can see when acquiring the in-game Golden Peyote collectible. Captain N, the Game Master Captain N, the Game Master was a Saturday morning cartoon that ran on NBC from 1989 to 1991. The show is about a kid named Kevin Keane that gets sucked into his TV and meets various Nintendo characters. While in this universe, he finds he must fulfill an ancient prophecy and defeat Mother Brain from Metroid. Some other characters that appear in the show include Simon Belmont from Castlevania, who looks completely different from how he should, Mega Man, Kid Icarus, King Hippo from Punch-Out, Link, and a living supercomputer called the Game Boy. Noticeably absent were characters from the Mario series, though this was due to the Super Mario Bros. Super Show airing around the same time. GoldenEye Secret Island in the dam level in GoldenEye 007 for the Nintendo 64, you can see an island off in the distance smothered in fog. Many gamers took notice of this and theorized what it could be used for or that there was a way to access it. It was later revealed by the developers at Rare in interviews that it was going to be accessible by boat in earlier versions, but the, mi but the mission was never implemented and so the structure just sits there. Playing as Master Hand in Melee in Super Smash Bros. Melee, you can play as Master Hand. No, really. I'd explain how to do it, but it's rather complicated, so look it up on your own time if you want to. Essentially, fiddling with the name selection field on the character menu with a controller in the third controller slot enables a glitch to allow you to play as Master Hand. Thankfully, this is not the only Smash Bros. series entry in which you can play as him. In Ultimate, following your separate defeats of Galeem and Darkon, and before the joint defeat of them both, you fight against Shadow Fighters of all the characters as Master Hand, no glitch needed. 
Lavender Town Syndrome. Lavender Town Syndrome is a, and I can't emphasize this enough, fabricated event which allegedly states that the music for Lavender Town in Pokemon Red and Blue contains hidden frequencies that cause many Japanese children to off themselves. This is not true and was inspired by the fact that the music for the stage is rather unsettling. I wanted to clarify this because I hadn't researched this well enough for previous episodes of our show, and I wanted to make sure everyone knows the truth. Dream and the Glow Squid During the 2020 Minecraft mob vote, fans had the opportunity to vote for which Minecraft mob would be implemented into the game within the next couple of years. For the 2020 vote, the options were the Isolager, the Moobloom, and the Glow Squid. The Glow Squid ended up winning by a rather narrow margin. However, many believe that the reason the Glow Squid won at all was that Minecraft YouTuber Dream had rigged the vote by asking his fanbase to vote for the Glow Squid. Dream has a considerable amount of power over his fanbase, so it's not unreasonable to think that the reason the Glow Squid won was that Dream made it so. Super Mario 64 Shindo Edition This was a Japan-only expansion slash reissue of Super Mario 64 that patched and changed a number of things about the original release in Japan. Some notable changes were that Mario's jump noises are higher pitched, the BLJ is removed, and Mario does an extra spin when jumping onto a tree. If any of this sounds familiar, that's because this is actually the version used in Super Mario 3D All-Stars for the Nintendo Switch across all regions. Duck Hunt Level 100 In Duck Hunt for the NES, you can play through 99 levels of shooting ducks with the NES Zapper accessory. However, the 100th level is so sporadic and glitchy, you are completely unable to finish it. Unless you use a Game Genie add-on, that is. Arkham City in Asylum In Batman Arkham Asylum, if you spray explosive gel on a specific spot on a wall in the Warden's office, you can see blueprints for a maximum security prison in Gotham City named Arkham City. This was obviously put in here to tease the next game in the series of the same name, which was in early development at the time of Asylum's release. The easter egg was apparently so well hidden that the higher ups at the development studio Rocksteady didn't even know about it until a year after the game's release. Luigi Hangs Himself Possible suicide trigger warning for this entry. Okay, I know you may think this is a bit dark to be this high up on the list, but I figured it was well known enough to be included here. So, in Luigi's Mansion, whenever Luigi walks in the telephone room and lightning strikes, Luigi's shadow flashes on the wall, except it's farther up on the wall than it should be. Many people thought this meant that Luigi actually ends himself because it appears he hanged himself from the ceiling. However, this is simply a lighting glitch in which Luigi's shadow appears where it shouldn't. Nothing more, nothing less. Here comes Pac-Man. This entry originates from the 1999 song Mope by comedy rock band The Bloodhound Gang. There is a segment after the second chorus in the music video where two of the bandmates appear in the world of Pac-Man, who then, portrayed by an actor in costume, comes by offering them some crack cocaine. They decline, then Pac-Man takes a puff of said crack, then the Pac-Man theme song plays. This segment in particular gained further notoriety when YouTube user Hackor filmed the version in which a computer-generated Pac-Man visits two guys in the real world to offer them the crack, then he bounces around the room. I recommend watching it, but do so at your own risk, as it is rather profane. Mount Chiliad While Mount Chiliad first appeared in Grand Theft Auto San Andreas, it didn't really become a point of interest in the series until the fifth game. If you ever visit the mountain in-game, you can see a strange mural in the cable car station. Using various clues on this mural and around the mountain, it was discovered that if you came back to the location at 3am in-game time with 100% completion, a UFO would appear. 
You can't really do anything with it, it's just there, but it's an interesting aspect of Grand Theft Auto V regardless. Chris Chan Christine, formerly Christian, Weston Chandler is an individual who rose to prominence uploading pictures of her character Sonichu, as well as uploading videos to YouTube under the username CWCVillGuardian. In the past year, Chandler has been the subject of many controversies, and many elements of her past are easily accessible on the internet, making her one of the most documented individuals in human history. I'm not joking. Somebody has literally made a 65-part YouTube series about her life thus far. Layer 4. Below the Surface Nintendo 64! Nintendo 64 is a viral video uploaded by Raw64Life on March 24th of 2006. It depicts a child named Brandon receiving a Nintendo 64 on Christmas of 1998. He and his sister are both screaming at the top of their lungs in excitement over the system. The video has accumulated over 25 million views as of this recording. KF Console Yes, Kentucky Fried Chicken has a video game console, or plans to release one anyway. It's essentially a miniature PC with a chicken chamber in it to heat and warm up chicken. It was announced December of 2020, but no further details on it or even a release date have been provided since then. GameStop Short Squeeze The GameStop Short Squeeze was an event in late January of 2021 organized by users of the subreddit r slash wallstreetbets. A short squeeze being when a short seller, one who buys a stock at a low price to sell it, then hopefully buy it back later, jumps in value to force the seller to buy it back. One Redditor had purchased around $53,000 in GameStop stock, and the squeeze increased his investment to over $40 million. I am no financial expert, so I'm pretty sure I messed up some of the details, but basically, Reddit increased GameStop stock value for a short amount of time. The Stop and Swap the Stop and Swap was a concept worked on by Rare, the developers of Banjo-Kazooie. The original idea was to collect six differently colored mystery eggs and an ice key to unlock items in the sequel Banjo-Tooie. The way this would work was for the Nintendo 64 to allow 10 seconds to swap cartridges between both games, but it wouldn't work with the desired limit so the devs abandoned it. Until Banjo-Kazooie's release on the Xbox Live Arcade, but the Stop and Swap items carried over to Banjo-Kazooie Nuts and Bolts instead of Tooie. Nintendo GigaLeak The Nintendo GigaLeak was a series of leaks showing various unused elements from Nintendo games that first came to public light around mid-2020, the most notable being Super Mario 64's leak content, including the aforementioned Luigi model, which inspired the Mario 64 iceberg, without which this episode wouldn't exist, so I owe a great debt to the leakers. Some other games in this GigaLeak were Star Fox 1 and 2, Ocarina of Time, and various Nintendo system firmwares. Microsoft buying Nintendo. Yes, Microsoft once tried to buy Nintendo. Essentially, in the late 90s, Microsoft was trying to find ways to keep up with Sony following the announcement of the PlayStation 2. They had tried to construct a console that eventually became the Xbox, and they tried to increase their future libraries by finding companies willing to work with them, and one of the companies they met with was Nintendo. Essentially, they told the Nintendo executives that they were better at the game software than Microsoft themselves, so how about a joint venture where they just shut down their hardware division and just put their games on Microsoft systems? Naturally, the Microsoft execs were laughed at. Shaq-Fu Shaq-Fu is a 2D fighter published by EA and released in 1994. 
It is infamous for having really janky controls that led to it retrospectively being known as one of the worst games of all time. It's also known for being featured in the TV series Fresh Off the Boat and receiving a sequel game in 2018. Polyam 1 The Polyam, or Polyam, I'm not sure, 1 is a yet-to-be-released console with a unique twist. The games are digital and purchased off the blockchain, making it the first NFT-based console. If you'd like more detail, PyroCynical's live channel made a video talking about it that'll be in the source playlist. Game Boy Pocket Sonar Game Boy Pocket Sonar is a rather odd peripheral designed by Bandai and released in 1998 for the Game Boy. It's a sonar device designed for use with real-world fishing to locate fish, and it also had a fishing minigame built into the cartridge that worked outside of the fishing itself. Don't think I've said fish that many times in a row in my life, wow. Lemon Rant The Lemon Rant is a speech played during Chapter 6 of Portal 2 given by the character of Cave Johnson, who is portrayed by National Treasure J.K. Simmons. It plays as follows. Alright, I've been thinking. When life gives you lemons, don't make lemonade. Make life take the lemons back. Get mad! I don't want your damn lemons! What am I supposed to do with these? Demand to see life's manager. Make life rue the day it thought it could give Cave Johnson lemons. Do you know who I am? I'm the man who's gonna burn your house down with the lemons. I'm gonna get my engineers to invent a combustible lemon that burns your house down. The rant went viral, especially the idea of a combustible lemon, the ridiculousness of such internet users were especially enamored with. IQ Player The IQ Player is a version of the Nintendo 64 only released in China. It was released in 2002 as a way to combat the Chinese ban on video games, and was a collaboration between Nintendo and the Chinese company Wei Yen. All the games are digital, with some demos included. The IQ Player isn't the only Chinese version of a Nintendo console out there either. There's also an IQ Game Boy Advance, IQ DS, and IQ 3DS XL. PS3 Original Controller In E3 of 2005, Sony had showcased the prototype design of their upcoming PlayStation 3. The most memorable aspect of said prototype was the controller. It was boomerang-shaped, with handles extending far below what you'd normally expect, with a shiny metallic finish. The design was heavily ridiculed online, leading Sony to redesign it into what was essentially the PlayStation 2 controller, but wireless and with more capabilities. Sega Nomad The Sega Nomad was a handheld system released by Sega in 1995. It has the unique function of giving you the ability to play Sega Genesis games portably. This wasn't the first official handheld console that allowed you to do this, since NEC did this with the Turbo Express five years earlier, allowing you to play TurboGrafx-16 games portably. The Nomad is interesting technically, but, like the Game Gear, was criticized for its battery life. It ran for two to three hours on six AA's. Another interesting thing about it is that it has an AV port on it, so you can play it on your TV as well, kind of like a Nintendo Switch 20 years prior. Tiger Electronics no, I'm not including this because of the name similarity to a certain podcaster. Tiger Electronics is a toy manufacturer perhaps best known for being the creators of the Furby, but they also had dipped their toes in the game market. They made many LCD handheld versions of games like Street Fighter 2 and Sonic 3D Blast, like Nintendo's Game & Watches, but worse. Tiger also made Game Watches, which you could apply to your wrists and play games on. 
They also made a few systems with interchangeable cartridges, such as the R-Zone in 1995, which was a head-worn system that had games projected on a screen right in front of the player's eye. Not as Odyssey-inducing as the Virtual Boy, but very confusing. They did thankfully make revisions of the system that were just regular portable systems. They also made the Game.com, which was unique when it released in 1997 for the fact that it had a touchscreen and internet connectivity, but it still sold poorly. Nestor Nestor was a character created by Nintendo Power founder Howard Phillips. He appeared in the magazine's comic strip Howard and Nestor, which ran from 1988 to 1993. He's definitely one of Nintendo's more obscure characters, but that didn't stop him from getting his own video game, Nestor's funky bowling on The Virtual Boy. Totaka's Song Kazumi Totaka is a video game composer who's worked on some of Nintendo's biggest games, including Luigi's Mansion, Wii Sports, and the Animal Crossing games. In each of the games he's made, he hides a special little ditty that goes like this. Some games are a little harder to find it in than others, and it's a point of debate if it even exists in Wii Sports at all, but it's a fun little thing to try to look for the next time you play one of his games. Rayman in Smash 4 in early 2015, a supposed leak for Super Smash Bros. for Wii U was making the rounds on the internet that showed Rayman as a character in the selection menu. This video was believed to be legitimate by many until February 15th, in which YouTuber Curiomatic, also going by Artsy Omni, uploaded a video showing that the leak was indeed fake and showed how he accomplished it. Jill's Sandwiches in the first floor of Paradise Plaza in the game Dead Rising, you can see a restaurant called Jill's Sandwiches. This is a reference to the original Resident Evil, in which, after the character of Jill nearly dies, Barry Burton says, That was too close. You were almost a Jill sandwich. The quote was essentially the English localizers of the game trying to be clever, but instead coming across as cringy. Mixer Mixer was a failed video game live streaming platform launched in 2016 by Microsoft. To try to compete with Twitch, they had created exclusivity contracts with two of the biggest streamers, Ninja and Shroud, in 2019. Mixer eventually shut down and merged with Facebook Gaming in 2020, leaving the streamers to move back to Twitch. Earth Earthbound Zero Earthbound Zero is the name of the original translation of the first Mother game for NES. After Mother had released in Japan, Nintendo had worked on a localization of it for America entitled Earthbound Zero, and even put it on a prototype cartridge. However, due to a variety of reasons, including a lack of marketing and the impending launch of the Super Nintendo, the game just never released in the US, until it eventually released on the Wii U Virtual Console in 2016, and later the Switch Online service in 2022, allowing the official translation to finally reach the West. Legend of Zelda's Swastika Dungeon The third dungeon in the original Legend of Zelda on the NES is in the shape of a swastika. The reason for this is that in Asia, the swastika is a symbol of well-being, but a certain art school reject took that design and used it for his evil endeavors. However, the one used in the Legend of Zelda has the arm facing the left, which symbolizes the knight, while the Nazis used the right facing one, which means sun and prosperity. The point I'm trying to make is that the symbol's legacy is more steeped in religious culture and has more history than what we know about Nazis would have us believe. So the next time you see a swastika somewhere, think twice before casting judgment. LEGO Dimensions Year 3 
LEGO Dimensions was a toys-to-life video game that featured LEGO models and minifigures you could attach to toy tags that a scanner could then put in-game. The line of sets was cancelled in its second year due to the faltering of the toys-to-life craze. Many themes that were considered to be included that never were included Shrek, The Last Airbender, Pirates of the Caribbean, The Smurfs, Mega Man, and many others. Just Too Good has a great video going more in-depth with what they were. Halo DS Halo DS was a rumored game in the Halo series for the Nintendo DS that IGN writer Matt Casamassina claimed he had played. Budgie said that a demo was probably what Casamassina had, but the game wasn't planned for actual release. We do have actual footage of it, since Casamassina did create and upload a video showing off the demo. I'd Say He's Hot on Our Tail I'd Say He's Hot on Our Tail, originally titled The Adventures of Super Mario Bros. 3 Remixed, is what's widely considered the very first YouTube poop. I had mentioned Morshu and Pingas as prominent subjects in these, but this is the very first one. It was originally uploaded to the website SheezyArt on December 22, 2004, not yet with the name YouTube Poop since the site hadn't even released, and came to YouTube later. The typical YTP format is taking a movie or scene from a show and sentence mixing with edits to have the characters say funny, new, or shocking things, as well as random memes being all over the place. This one, however, is just snippets from the episode Recycled Koopa that plays a moment in which Luigi gets hit in the tail by Bowser and says the titular line after each said snippet. That's really it. However, the creator of said poop, Super Yoshi, still replies to comments on the video to this day. Electric Soldier Porygon Gave Kids Seizures Teno Senshi Porygon, known in the US as Electric Soldier Porygon, was the 38th episode of the Pokemon anime and premiered in Japan on December 16, 1997. The episode was never aired after its initial release for one tragic reason, it gave 685 Japanese children seizures. This is because there's a scene in which Pikachu uses an attack against Team Rocket which has a very rapid red and blue strobing effect. Many children were sadly hospitalized because of this. Due to this, the episode was never re-released even though an edit could solve the whole problem. Super 3D Noah's Ark Super 3D Noah's Ark is a religiously themed reskin of Wolfenstein 3D for the Super Nintendo developed by Wisdom Tree. It's still a first-person shooter, but instead of killing the animals, you make them fall asleep with a slingshot. And if you were wondering, this is officially licensed by id Software to use their engine, and some people have thought that the only reason they licensed it out in the first place was because they were mad at Nintendo for how much they restricted Wolfenstein on the Super Nintendo, but id later said that that wasn't the case. The cartridge for the game is notable in that it has a slot for another cartridge on the top because that's the only way it can run power to run the game itself. It was never sold in actual stores because of licensing issues and was only sold in Christian bookstores. Also, you can play the game on Steam right now if you really want to. Living with Wario Living with Wario was a vlog animated parody web series created by Frank Stragini. The original upload date of these were presumably 2016, but I'm not sure due to the videos getting re-uploaded onto a different channel following a copyright strike. There are technically five episodes in the series, but only three are animated in the typical Stringini style. The second episode, which features Wario showing off his hallway while needing to use the bathroom, blew up as an internet meme in mid-2020 shortly following the re-uploads. Layer 5. The Berg's Body Dinosaur Planet Dinosaur Planet was a game developed by Rare for the Nintendo 64 in the late 90s. It was going to release on the 64, but it shifted to the GameCube after Nintendo saw the game. 
Nintendo also decided to completely reformat it as a Star Fox game because they felt that the story fit the franchise. It eventually released in 2002 as Star Fox Adventures. Little was known about the original Dinosaur Planet until February of 2021, when the Forest of Illusion Preservation Group announced that they had bought a disc from a Swedish collector that had a build of the game on it. They then released said build to the public for all to play. The Grinch Leak The Grinch Leak was a fake Super Smash Bros. leak that was allegedly spread by a disgruntled French printer in October of 2018. The leak is a screen cap of a Snapchat that shows a spread of the supposed character roster for Super Smash Bros. Ultimate. The reason for it being named The Grinch Leak is that you can see a promotional image of the Illumination Grinch movie in the corner. It looks identical to the painted Smash Bros. character spread used in the game, but included the characters of Banjo-Kazooie, Ken from Street Fighter, Geno from Mario RPG, Shadow the Hedgehog, the Chorus Kids from Rhythm Heaven, Mock Rider, and Cosmos from Xenosaga. In the end, the leak ended up being fake, but Ken was revealed to be coming to Smash shortly after, and Banjo-Kazooie eventually made it in as DLC. Pappy Van Poodle Pappy Van Poodle is a character hidden within the free-to-play 3DS game Rusty's Real Deal Baseball. In the game, you're encouraged to haggle with Rusty to buy the baseball minigames at a reduced rate, but if you, for whatever reason, don't do that, you get introduced to Pappy Van Poodle, who acted as Rusty's mentor in the game's universe. However, because essentially all players did choose to haggle with Rusty, very few people actually knew about Pappy's existence, and there was a point in time wherein he had zero Google search results. However, that number went up after Nick Robinson made a video exposing the character's existence to a wider audience. Luke Oliver Luke Oliver is a patient in Batman Arkham Asylum, named and modeled after the winner of a 2008 contest Rocksteady held to allow a selected winner to appear in-game. You can see him in the penitentiary control room with Clayface. Tart Tycoon In August of 2020, Fortnite was removed from the Apple iStore for not keeping in line with Apple's terms for in-app purchases. Fortnite had a system in place in which users could pay for in-game items outside of the Apple Store, which meant Apple wouldn't receive any money from said purchases. Naturally, Fortnite developers' Epic Games were really sore following this, so in a jab at Apple, they created the Tart Tycoon, a shady businessman character with an apple for a head. The costume was given out to anyone who had at least 10 points at the end of the hashtag free Fortnite Cup in 2020. EverQuest 2 Pizza Delivery Service in the MMORPG EverQuest 2, you could order pizza directly in-game. In February of 2005, the game's site announced that typing in the command slash pizza could allow you to order a pizza from Pizza Hut. I'm not sure if this is still active today, but it's a cool feature implemented by the devs. Earthbound Halloween Hack In 2008, Earthbound fan website Starmen.net hosted a ROM hack event called Halloween Funfest. One of the fan-created hacks was simply called the Earthbound Halloween Hack, also called Press the B Button Stupid, and it was developed by Toby Fox. Yes, Undertale creator Toby Fox. And not only that, the hack was also what Megalovania was originally created for. Fox looked back on the hack following Undertale's releases, just a bad ROM hack with swears, which are frequently used during the hack's final boss. Oya the Oya, or Ouya, I'm not sure, was a microconsole developed by Boxer 8 Inc., later Ouya Inc., first announced in 2012 and released in 2013. It had one of the most successful Kickstarter campaigns in history, making its goal of $950,000 within the first hour of being up. 
However, it was soon realized that the console wasn't that great. It had little developer support due to the fact that Ouya wanted every game on the system free to play. It ended up selling around 200,000 units by the time it was discontinued in 2015, but its eventual buyer, Razer, kept the storefront up for the console until 2019. Panasonic Q the Panasonic Q was a Japan-only version of the GameCube with a unique feature. It could play DVDs as well as games. This version was made to address a common complaint. The PS2 and Xbox could play DVDs, making them both more worthwhile purchases than a GameCube. However, as stated earlier, this version was only released in Japan and sold poorly due to the fact that a standalone GameCube and a DVD player could both be purchased together and cost less than buying one Q. GameCube Hidden Startup Sounds when you turn on a GameCube, its startup sound goes like this. But there are two other sounds. When you hold the Z button on the controller as you turn the console on, you get this. If you have four controllers and the Z button is held on all of them, you get this. It's a really nice touch by Nintendo. Sonic's Band During the development of the original Sonic the Hedgehog, there was a concept designed for the sound test menu, a band with Sonic as the frontrunner. The band also featured Sharps the Parakeet on guitar, Max the Monkey on bass, Mach the Rabbit on drums, and Vector the Crocodile on synthesizer. The design was eventually scrapped, but Vector the Crocodile did eventually see the light of day, first appearing in Knuckles Chaotix on the 32X. P.T. P.T., short for Playable Teaser, was a horror game developed by Kojima Productions released on the PlayStation Store on August 12, 2014 to act as a promotion for the then-upcoming Silent Hills. However, a year later, the game was delisted from the store due to the cancellation of Silent Hills. This led to PlayStation systems with the game downloaded on it selling for over $1,000 on eBay. It's unknown if the game will ever come back, and many attempts to remake it have been copyright struck by Kojima Productions. Forbidden 7 The Forbidden 7 were a group of fighters planned for Super Smash Bros. Brawl in early development, but eventually scrapped. These characters were Toon Zelda, Tetra from Legend of Zelda The Wind Waker, Plusle and Minin from Pokemon, Dixie Kong, and returning characters Dr. Mario, Mewtwo, and Roy from Fire Emblem. The reason we know about these characters existing at all is that very unfinished and scrapped assets were found in the game by hackers. Justin Bailey Justin Bailey is a password you can implement into the original Metroid for NES. Inputting this password allows you to play a Samus with green hair and a pink leotard. This led many people to speculate if Justin Bailey was a real person and why it was even a password in the first place. It turns out that it was just the password randomization of Metroid, allowing for many different codes to access the suit. Justin Bailey was just the most widely reported one. Universal Studios Inc. v. Nintendo Company Limited. This refers to a lawsuit between Nintendo and Universal in 1984. Universal said that Donkey Kong was an infringement on their King Kong character and that Nintendo copied him. Nintendo's rebuttal was that Kong was a widely used term for ape and monkey characters and that Universal didn't even fully own the King Kong character and didn't even have the rights to sue over him. 
Nintendo won and thanked their lawyer John Kirby by giving him a yacht christened Donkey Kong. They also thanked him by naming a game series after him in the form of Kirby. Nintendo and Universal themselves, I guess, are on buddy-buddy terms now since the Mario movie is being made by Illumination, which is owned by Universal Pictures. Wandering is a terrible sin. This entry refers to a stagnant character seen in various locations in Bendy and the Ink Machine in the form of a sprite placed on walls. They can be found in places otherwise inaccessible if the player hacks the game to move anywhere they desire. This was inspired by YouTuber SK Pacman when he sent a video of himself hacking the game to explore beyond the normal areas to the game's developer, Mike Mood, to make sure it was okay to post. Mood said yes and later placed the character in various areas of the game as an easter egg for other hackers. Roblox Oof Origin The sound in Roblox, which acted as the default death sound for many years, does not actually originate from Roblox. It was created by Tommy Tallarico in 2000 for the PC game Messiah. Here's the original sound as it appears in-game. Tallarico eventually settled with Roblox over the use of the sound, leading to it costing 100 Robux to use in-game by late 2020, and its eventual removal entirely on July 27th, 2022. Cancelled Metroid Dread before Metroid Dread eventually released on the Nintendo Switch in October of 2021, the name had instead been tied to a cancelled entry in the Metroid series. The original Metroid Dread was conceived by series producer Yoshio Sakamoto as a sequel to Metroid Fusion for the DS. The limitations of the DS's hardware prevented both of his early attempts to fully realize his vision. However, he later worked with Mercury Steam, the developers of Metroid Samus Returns on the 3DS, to finally bring his idea to the Switch. Dedotated Wham At the 2013 Minecraft convention Minecon in Orlando, Florida, there was a Q&A panel dedicated to community servers in which attendees could come up and ask professional server runners questions. One of these questions went viral and was asked by a kid with the username SuperKai64, who walked up with a tag with his username atop his head, much like a Minecraft character. He asked how much dedicated RAM is needed to operate a server, only it came out like this. Um, I was wondering, um, what's the recommended amount of dedicated RAM I should have to a server? I'm sorry, could you please repeat your question? Um, dedicated RAM to a server. Oh. If you're oh, running off your pursuit. Oh, okay. I do feel kind of sorry for him, as it's obvious he was nervous asking the question. The clip of the panel went viral, but recent attempts to contact SuperKai64 have proved fruitless. Who knows where he is now? Hope he's doing well. Also, in case you're curious, the answer at least at the time was anywhere between 1.5 to 16 gigabytes. Sonic Adventure DLC Sonic Adventure, which released on the Sega Dreamcast in 1998, was one of the very first video games to implement downloadable content through the internet. The way it worked was that the data was already hidden in-game, you just needed to actively purchase it to unlock it. These various DLCs included a Dreamcast launch party one, which would turn the station square into a party, a Halloween one, which would add Halloween decorations to Twinkle Park, a Christmas one, which added Christmas trees to station square, a Y2K one which was added New Year's Eve of 1999, which added 35 giant collectible rings around Station Square, a music track from Samba de Amigo, and new voice tracks for the menu. That's all there was that was added. All Night Nippon Super Mario Brothers 
All Night Nippon Super Mario Bros. was a bizarre reskin of Super Mario Bros. The Lost Levels, though it also features many levels from the original Super Mario Bros., released for the Famicom Disk System in 1986. It features the faces of Japanese radio personalities from the radio program All Night Nippon, replacing enemies and toads, as well as things like the Starman and Flag being replaced with logos associated with said program. The game is officially licensed by Nintendo as part of a cross-promotion, and was only available through a mail-in raffle. R-Wing and Ocarina of Time There is an R-Wing from the Star Fox series hidden inside of The Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time for the Nintendo 64. The reason for this is that one of the programmers, Kazuaki Morita, when programming Volvagia the Dragon, had brought over some assets from Star Fox 64 because he thought it would work well with the Dragon, and the R-Wing was just one of those leftovers. Berserk Deaths in 1982, Peter Burkowski was hoping to play the arcade game Berserk, developed by Stern Electronics, at his local arcade in Calumet City, Illinois. However, shortly after inserting his quarter, Burkowski died of a heart attack right there in the arcade. This caused many people to believe that Berserk caused the first video game-induced death of all time. This wasn't even the first report of something like this happening, since it was alleged that Jeff Daly had also died of a heart attack following having his name on Berserk's leaderboard. However, there is no solid information that Jeff Daly died from this game or even existed at all. However, Burkowski's is backed up by an article in the Chicago Tribune and an interview with Berserk's creator, Alan McNeil. Burkowski's heart attack was not directly caused by the game since he had inflammation on his heart tissue prior to playing, but it is possible that the exertion of playing pushed his heart to its limit. The Doomslayer is taking revenge for his rabbit. Slight trigger warning, fictional animal violence. In episode 4 of the original Doom, there's a picture that shows the Doom guy holding the severed head of his pet rabbit, Daisy. This and later text in the game saying that someone was gonna pay for what happened to Daisy, your pet rabbit, suggest that the Doom guy isn't fighting the invasion of demons entirely for the greater good, but rather in a way to enact vengeance just for his rabbit, even though the demons did kill his family too. At least in the fourth mission, anyway, is the one that appears to be revenge-focused. Pioneer Laser Active The Pioneer Laser Active is a rather unusual video game system. Originally released in 1993, the system acted as a laserdisc player that also offered games in the same format, but only if you had one of the game expansions for the system. The console allowed you to add one of two expansions onto the system to play either Sega Genesis and CD games, or TurboGrafx-16 Turbo games. A really unique feature, but at a really hefty price. The console alone launched at a whopping $970, and that was just the system without any add-ons. 30 years ago, a system with everything would set you back around two grand. Because of this, the Laser Active sold a pitiful 40,000 units, but it's still an interesting console to talk about today nonetheless. NASA Transmissions in the Xbox Home Menu In the main menu of the original Xbox, if you wait long enough, you hear some creepy sounds, one of which goes like this. Many people who heard this were freaked out by it, but it's not as sinister as it may seem. It turns out that these sounds were actually NASA transmissions used during the Apollo missions that Microsoft used because they were in the public domain. Famicom Data Recorder if you've listened to the show for a while, you probably know of the Famicom Disk System, which allowed developers of games for the Famicom more options and space for their games. 
but there was another somewhat similar add-on for the Famicom that was released a couple years earlier called the Famicom Data Recorder. But instead of having its own games, it functioned as a cassette player, on top of allowing you to save data to a cartridge using the program Nintendo Basic in tandem with the Famicom Basic keyboard. On top of functioning as a tape recorder, you could use Nintendo Basic to program your own games and save user-created content in games like Excitebike. There were plans to bring something similar over to the American NES, but they were scrapped. OXO OXO is a proto-video game developed by A.S. Douglas on the EDSAC programming language for early computers. It used three cathode ray tube displays to show the computer's memory state, as well as another one to display the game itself. It functions as a basic tic-tac-toe, also known as knots and crosses, game which the user interacts with using a rotary telephone to select which symbol to display on which square. Some consider this the first video game ever, but I think it functions as more of a prototype for eventual later games such as Tennis for Two. Dragon Quest games can't release on a weekday. When Dragon Quest III had released in Japan, many children in the country skipped school to buy and play the game as soon as they possibly could. It got to the point that the Japanese government informed Enix that it wasn't okay and something needed to be done. Since then, every Dragon Quest game has been released on a Saturday in Japan. This started a popular urban legend that it's illegal for Dragon Quest games to release on weekdays. It really isn't. Enix, now Square Enix since they merged with Squaresoft, just doesn't want the government to send them another warning and get into further legal trouble. Project Giant Robot Project Giant Robot was a tech demo for the Wii U revealed at E3 2014 and later said to launch sometime in 2015. In Project Giant Robot, you use the Wii U gamepad to control a kaiju-esque robot in a city and fight other robots. After its 2015 date was revealed, it got delayed to an undetermined release date for some time after that year, and never saw the light of day since. The other tech demo shown off at E3, Project Guard, later became Star Fox Guard, which released in 2016. Some have theorized that Project Giant Robot eventually became the robot kit in the Nintendo Labo line of cardboard accessories, which released in 2018, but this is unconfirmed. More likely than not, the project was just cancelled. Chris Houlihan Chris Houlihan, like Luke Oliver, refers to a contest winner whose name appeared in The Legend of Zelda A Link to the Past. In 1990, Nintendo hosted a contest in which subscribers to the magazine had to fight a Warmech in the original Final Fantasy on the NES. They then had to send in a photo of it, along with their name, for a chance to get it featured in a future Nintendo game. The winner of the contest was Chris Houlihan. You can access his name and link to the past in a myriad of ways, and they're all pretty complicated. The room the name sits in acts as an error room you get sent to when the game can't decipher what direction you're going in. If you do reach it and you find the telepathy tile in the room, you get a message that reads, My name is Chris Houlihan. This is my top secret room. Keep it between us, okay? Marioro In the Japanese version of Mario Kart 64, there are various fake advertisements on the tracks based off of logos of real companies that, for copyright reasons, couldn't be used in the American release. There was Luigi, a parody of the Italian gasoline manufacturer Egypt, Yoshiwan, a parody of Mobile One, an oil company, Koopa Air, a parody of Goodyear, and Marioro, a parody of Marlboro cigarettes. Why Mario would promote cigarettes is beyond me, and this makes the most sense to cut out of the American release above the others, since the game was marketed towards kids and Nintendo of America presumably did not want children to smoke cigarettes because Mario had a parody ad for it in the game. Ian Bates 
Ian Bates, known mostly online as the redshirt guy, refers to an attendee at BlizzCon 2010, BlizzCon being a convention centered around Blizzard Entertainment and their games. During a Q&A panel with the World of Warcraft developers, Bates walked up to the microphone and asked this. Hello, I have, I just finished reading The Shattering yesterday, Good and I noticed something. It said that Falstad Wildhammer was going to be on the Council of Three Hammers, but in the beta it's Kurdren Wildhammer and Falstad is not in the game at all. What happened to him? Isn't Falstad dead? From uh, Day of the Dragon? No? No, he survived, and in fact, he was the leader of Airy Peak and Vanilla WoW through Wrath of the Lich King. Right, of course. Right. Yeah, Alex, what's up with that? <laughs> thanks, thanks for pointing that out. We're going to get that fixed. Thank you. Bet. In a similar vein to the dedicated Wham Kid, the clip went viral online due to the really nerdy question and somewhat robotic demeanor in which Bates asked it. Bates later stated he has Asperger's syndrome and was nervous, which is why the question was delivered in the tone that it was. It turns out that the developers, embarrassed by the lore consistency they got called out on, did correct their mistake in Warcraft a couple months after BlizzCon and replaced Kurdren Wildhammer with Falstad. As a bonus, they also added an NPC named the Wildhammer Fact Checker, who acted as Falstad's assistant in-game. Brian Matt In the Super Monkey Ball games, the voice actor who acted as the announcer isn't credited at all anywhere in the game. His identity remained a mystery for many years, nearly two decades, until YouTuber Nick Robinson, whom I mentioned in the Pappy Van Poodle entry, journeyed to Tokyo to find him. After exploring the Tokyo-based English-speaking voice acting circle, he didn't have any solid leads. But following his return, he was contacted by Brian Matt, who indeed did the voice for the announcer for Super Monkey Ball. Once Nick Robinson uploaded the video about his quest, entitled How I Solved Super Monkey Ball's Biggest Mystery, the confirmation of Matt having done the voice led to Sega bringing him back on to do voice work for Super Monkey Ball Banana Mania, which released in 2021. Original Revenge of Shinobi Villains In the original release of Revenge of Shinobi for the Sega Genesis, there were many bosses who were literal carbon copies of pop culture figures, including Rambo, Jackie Chan, The Terminator, Spider-Man, Batman, and Godzilla. Spider-Man was officially licensed out to the developers to use for a limited amount of time, but the rest were essentially copyright infringements. Various revisions of the game removed these enemies before lawsuits could happen. Far Cry 4 Good Ending At the very beginning of Far Cry 4, the character of Pagan Min asks you to stay seated as he leaves the room. Now most players would naturally get up and explore, which kickstarts the main campaign of the game. However, if you do indeed stay seated for the next 13 minutes, Min will come back and then the credits will roll. Really interesting way of beating the game if you're in a hurry. Also, this iceberg is getting way too long, so I'll have to split it into two parts. The second should be out in a day or two. Also, the way I sorted these entries is sort of how personally obscure I seem to find them. I'm sure there's a few of you who know some facts in the bottom layers, but not some from the top, and that's okay. This is a really objective list, so please keep that in mind with both the previous entries and the next part to come. Thanks for sticking around, check out part 2 when it releases, and have a lovely day.